the Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Welcome to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, designed to discuss all things responsible investment. Today, I am delighted to be joined by my colleague, Samantha Lamb, who is one of our senior fund managers and head of ESG for fixed income. Sam, a warm welcome today. It's lovely to be here, Amanda. Thank you very much for the the invitation. Now, Sam grew up on the west coast of Scotland. And in designing this podcast, an interesting fact I learned about Sam is that as a daughter of a commander in the Navy, she had a unique christening. She was, in fact, christened on board a submarine. Sam grew up with a notion of service to your country. But she also found on reaching university that those around her often saw those in the military as people of war. Is really interesting because this different view has helped her understand very early on that people's experience often heavily influences their perception on the world around them. Sam had a questioning mind as a child, including asking a scripture union camp at about the age of nine where the dinosaurs were in the Bible. Her natural ability to question and challenge has helped her to develop her own view of the world in which we live. Now, after finishing her philosophy degree at university, She thought about how she could influence positive change. Campaigning, journalism were all considered as career options, but she realized that influence through business was greater. And she now has a role where she is able to incrementally make a difference through the investment she makes, how she engages with the companies in which she holds debt, as well as how she allocates capital. Sam's favorite TV series is The West Wing, believing it does a great job of explaining the complexities of governing, getting decisions made and influencing change, as well as being highly entertaining. Now, more recently, Sam became a mum to a little girl and is currently expecting her second child. Sadly, while becoming a mum, Sam also lost her own mum, which has clearly had a profound impact on her priorities in life. Now, Sam is a long-standing member of the Aberdeen Standard Investments team, and over the past few years, her role has expanded to take on responsibility for ESG within fixed income. So, Sam, perhaps we can begin with hearing a little bit about your move into ESG. You are a senior fund manager within the fixed income team, and in more recent years, you've taken this responsibility for leading the fixed income ESG work. Can you tell us a little bit about how all this came about. So it's quite interesting going back to thinking about leaving university and kind of what your your aspirations are because I think quickly when you then start looking for an actual job you realize that finding a you know sort of a job that you're able to do and someone who will employ you becomes sort of far more more important but I I was able to to join um, Aberdeen Standard Investments as a high yield credit analyst um, that's almost 15 years ago um, and then I was able to move into investment grade portfolio management so if I think about the the early days in working in credit we we've always integrated ESG into our credit analysis we just didn't think about it as that at the time we were always looking at the governance of businesses and the decisions that management were making and whether we felt they were managing the risk but the opportunity to then work more closely with clients on the subject came when we built an SRI fund in 2012 so I'm I'm not an ESG expert 
as such. I'm not the person in the business that you want to come and speak to about our views on climate. Yeah. My expertise has really been about how we then bring these ideas, these themes into our research process and our portfolio construction. Now, many people see ESG issues as rather homogenous, and, and some people think that it's quite easy just to apply these factors across investments. Now, this clearly is not the case, um, and I'm quite keen to hear your view on where ESG factors are unique to fixed income and how your approach might be different from other asset classes. If we're thinking about just looking at companies, um, which is one part of fixed income, then yeah. there's big part of that that feels very similar to analysing um, in the way that equities would, mm -hmm. that when we are assessing a company, how they're currently managing their ESG risks within the business, but also looking at the sustainability of the business, that, that would feel very similar. I mean, you do. There's, it's definitely true that sectors vary in terms of their weighting ESG risks, yeah. but all businesses can, can suffer from um, poor governance. Where fixed income then becomes different um, is that um, it's about the timing of the risks. So um, if to an investment sort of now, it's really about are we concerned? Are the concerns so severe that we think there's a risk of imminent default? Otherwise, we can then think about what when we think these risks may appear and it may mean that we can own the five-year debt of a company but we may not want to own the 30-year debt of a company right i think broadly at the moment and and think about that sort of what does that mean with a an actual example um if we were to think about you know an auto manufacturer mm -hmm. um and maybe we feel that um they need to transition and um, their business due to changes that are, are coming that the consumers are more focused on electric vehicles. But we don't necessarily think that's going to happen in the next five years, but it's something that on, on a 30-year trajectory, um, their businesses could look very different. So we're not confident that perhaps that, yeah. how that business might look. And I don't think the ESG market more broadly is very good at considering the timing of risks at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an absolutely valid point. And it's it's not just important. It is important to fixed income. It's critical to fixed income. But when you're analysing a company, it is also important when you're thinking about their risk, because the further away a risk is, the more time the company has to adjust or transform their business to to meet that risk. It'd be also interesting to hear a little bit about the differences within the fixed income asset class. You just touched there on on cor corporate debt, which, as you say, has some similarities to investing in, in listed companies. Now, you're exposed to so many different instruments from corporate bonds, private infrastructure debt, government bonds. Are you able to touch a little bit about how you approach ESG across all of these different types of investment instruments? So... It's, it, I think it's maybe important to start with what we see as being similar mm -hmm. um, and whatever instrument we're analysing or investment within fixed income, we start with the same kind of blank of sheet paper and we're asking ourselves what are the material risks to this investment. And that's no um, different when we're thinking about ESG risks. Um, and what we're fundamentally trying to understand is do we understand what the ESG risks to that investment are? Do we think they're being well managed and have they been mitigated? Um, 
what changes then when we think about whether it's sovereigns or corporates is the types of metrics that we might look at um, to help us decide whether that has been um, how well they are managing those risks. So, for example, on the sovereign side, um, we also consider the political. We think about corruption perception, political stability. Um, we'll be thinking about things like ease of doing business from a social aspect, um, life expectancy. Whereas within companies, it's it's very specific, but we'll be thinking about the foreign mining company, the health and safety and how well they're looking after their, their employees. So from a, a high level, really very similar, but when it's when you get into the... Um, the detail and the metrics that you you get the difference in, in what might be looking at. We we generally try to avoid giving a template to analysts. Um, uh-huh. It's a, a real balance of giving them some areas that we think it's important for them to consider. Um, but we need the analysts to be able to look at business holistically and and do just that to analyse it rather than just filling in boxes on a research template there's there's a real risk if it's too prescriptive that for a particular business they, they could make some miss something that's that's really very um critical so i i it's we're trying to give the analysts the tools and um these uh and how they conduct this esg analysis but without being prescriptive at exactly what they should look at in every circumstance which makes sense given the types of uh, instruments you are actually investing in now it wouldn't be right uh, to have a senior fixed income person on my podcast without asking them about green bonds. So these have obviously been around for some time. Um, and we're now starting to hear about social bonds. I'd really like to get your view on both the green and the social bond market, particularly green bond development um, and how you think they might develop in the future. So I'll be honest, Amanda, I, I actually spend more time talking about this subject externally than I probably do within within our team. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I get it. It's like green bonds are um, unique to the fixed income market. They're a very, um, and it gives us a unique capability of being able to direct investment and know exactly where the the proceeds are, are yeah. going. And, mm-hmm. and for some of our clients, that is... Um, very useful in the types of portfolios that they want to to build and we see a lot of headlines around the exponential growth and that's absolutely true but it's come off an incredibly low base so when we look at the um the corporate bond market for europe where we've seen the most issuance so far it's still less than five percent um and when you then look at sectors it's heavily dominated by utilities by real estate and by banks right we're just starting to see that change we've just seen some issuance from the auto manufacturers um and sort of different types of businesses now coming and uh, looking at green bonds as well but our it's just different that we've always looked at ESG integration and that's been our history so we look at the business holistically mm-hmm. um, and you know as we talked about how the the issue risk are being managed within the business today but also the sustainability of the business over the the longer term now green bonds can help us understand exactly where the investment is going and typically they're being used to um, finance investment to adjust to these longer term changes. So for utility, it's about financing building renewables mm-hmm. and helping them decommission their their coal power, for for example. Um, so I, I do think um, they will increasingly grow in importance, but 
there's also tension going on at the moment where there's an expectation because it's a green bond that the issuer should get cheaper financing. And from our perspective, when we look at a business holistically, and it's the same credit risk, whether it's a green bond or a normal bond, we think those instruments should price at the same level. Um, and so for most of our portfolio managers, they'll pick the the bond that, that pays pays better um, yeah. and gives us a better um, return. So I think there's a risk that we're seeing a bubble being created in, in green bonds at okay. the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and particularly that could get driven by sort of regulatory changes, et cetera, as well. So my preference is still that we kind of look at, at those businesses holistically because just because it's a green bond doesn't make it our an overall green company and certainly versus its peers. And I'm not sure that that's always understood. That's been really helpful. Thank you. Um, I'm now going to touch a little bit on diversity um, and how being a woman has influenced your style as a fund manager. Um, We don't have many senior female fund managers in the industry um, and probably fewer in the fixed income world. Um, So my question is, do you think that being a female has given you a different perspective on ESG matters from your male colleagues? And how do you influence your colleagues to understand some of the potentially softer elements on environmental and social issues? I don't actually think it's gender that's given me a different perspective, if I'm honest. I I think it was that I was young. Well, that's good to hear. Many of, many of my team members. Well, if I think about the, you know, the analysts and the portfolio managers that we've got coming through now, mm-hmm. um, male or female, they're passionate about um, ESG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so I think the gap when I joined the team was that, you know, in, in terms of older members, and I think to some extent how they've been trained to think about investments, um, whereas I think that is is um, changing over time. But when I think about some of those uh, more seasoned investors um, and <laughs> where I've had to persuade them along the way, I think the challenge hasn't necessarily been, you know, they're good credit analysts and good credit yeah. analysis means that you were always looking at these risks. What's I've had to persuade them of is that ESG isn't something new. It had this sort of feel or reputation, and we still see this in the US at the moment, that it's associated with charity and philanthropic and giving up yeah. return. And um, and then so persuading them that the risks, the material risks that they were looking at in the business, that those were often ESG risks, and it was just about correctly labelling um, them has, has been a bigger part of the challenge. And I think once that argument's won, it's much easier to to get them to understand um, the importance. That's uh, good, good to hear. Um, and it's been really interesting to, to hear about ESG factors as just part of proper risk assessment of your investment process. Um, I'm going to switch a little bit here and I'm looking for a bit of personal inspiration from you, Sam. Now, um, for those who are regular listeners, you'll know that I ask all my guests for a recommendation of a book or TV show or perhaps a film that might have inspired them recently uh, as it relates to sustainability issues. And and we're now getting a a lovely long list of of really inspiring books and programmes. What would yours be? Do you know, I thought about this, Amanda, and then I realised that the reason I didn't have any 
inspiration is uh is because i am uh i'm six months pregnant <laughs> and i have a 15 month old daughter and i don't think i've read anything or or kind of watched anything of uh of substance over the more kind of recent um years so i think the you know when i think of things that have been inspired me it's uh it really does go back to um or one of my favorite programs as we mentioned at the beginning is the the west wing which i yeah. go back to sort of time and again and i think um What's so important to me about, or what I learned from watching that program, um, and it's it's the environment we live in at the moment where there's so much anger and expectation yeah. about what governments should do and whose responsibility it is. And I think when I always kind of wonder when people are criticising what people are achieving or able to get done and think, well, why don't you go and try and change it yourself? And um, I just think what that programme explores particularly well is that good people with good intentions, that there's just a limit when you have to get consensus built about how you can can make change um, sort of happen and to to be understanding, but also around the complexity of issues as well. You know, we, we've seen this recently. We had an inquiry um, on our emerging market sovereign debt side about debt forgiveness within Africa. Now, we've got, um, you know, sort of senior members of our team who... Um, have been involved in these types of dialogues for for a long time it's it's very they're very clear that this is a bad outcome for these countries in the longer term because it excludes them from being able to find um raise money for it shuts them out of the market for a considerable period of time and right. that we've got to be more um creative in how we solve this problem and yet it doesn't stop someone writing that that kind of article which is a simplistic view on on how to solve a problem which they, they probably don't know enough um or necessarily understand sort of thoroughly enough and and i think for me um you know sort of that program explored many different kind of governmental challenges and mm -hmm. that you have to be willing to listen um, and carefully and, and try and work with people to to come up with uh, solutions that, that can help deliver um, change. And I, I think when we think about responsible investment, I am passionate about how the world does need to change, but I think if we become myopic on singular issues, that we can um, forget that there are other stakeholders to consider and that we can cause a lot of damage if we change things too quickly. Um, and I, I think we see that at times and it's, it's where we've the conversation on the just transition has really started kicking in on on climate change that yeah. we have to think about where if we disinvest from certain companies, certain regions, the level of poverty that could be created as a, as a result of that, for example. I think that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you very much for sharing that. And now we're drawing to the end of our chat today. Um, I think we all agree that we've reached a watershed moment for the responsible investment industry. And I'm keen to hear what you think the next five years holds out for fixed income industry and responsible investment. I, it's, it's, I mean, I, you'll, you'll agree, Amanda, the last three years have been a roller coaster in terms <laughs> of the progress that's that's been made. You know, we've gone mm. from niche to mainstream um, and now we're moving to regulatory in such a short space of time. Um, so progress and I think this actually you know comes very well off what we've just been talking about I think progress is fantastic I worry at the moment that the pace and the expectations mean that 
you know, particularly from the regulatory side, that we're um, going to choke off the ESG and the sustainable investment that it's in, intended to drive. Mm. Um, and so I think we we are at this, you know, what's exciting at the moment, and this is, um, I think, more broadly for ESG and investments, is that the pace of change and the willingness to change should gradually allow more room for ambition. I, where I do worry is, um, and I is that there needs to be a bit more of an honest conversation about what we as investors can realistically achieve. I think yeah. the, the light has been shone on us in recent years and, and really quite rightly, we should be using our our influence to ensure the companies that we invest in are, are good global corporate citizens. Um, I just worry that there's a lack of understanding and I think we need to do a better job of explaining to the general population that we don't choose how capital gets invested unilaterally. It's no. the investment choices they make in their pensions that then control the decisions that we're allowed to make on on their behalf. Um, so I think sort of delivering, if we can do a good job of delivering that that message, then we could massively empower the change that we're we're capable of of sort of making. But that's um, both both exciting and and I think the challenge ahead. Well, I think that's a fantastic way to end, almost a call to arms to make sure that our message is shared properly with the wider world. So thank you so much, Sam, for that. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Um, Sam has done so much to move the ESG agenda forward and fixed income. So Sam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Amanda. That ends our discussion for today. And thank you to all of those who have taken time to listen to our series. Please do download our previous podcast, which you can find on our website. Watch out for our next episode and tune in. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.